out of the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton with Roe. Glad you're with us. The Monday edition has arrived and plenty to react to. We've got Shannon Terry, the founder of On3. He will be in studio with us here at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. Pretty uneventful weekend for the most part, except for a couple things we're going to get into right off the bat. Yeah. But um, excited to be back with you. Uneventful, I would say, uh, regardless of, of – here's why. Did you? How much of the NBA All-Star Weekend did you watch? Um, not counting highlights after the fact. Right. Zero. Same. If I'm, I counted some Sunday highlight watching, but that's that's it. So, Zero. Totally, totally with you. Uh, the the dunk contest used to be my jam. Pardon the pun. I loved it. Yeah. And it's it's. You have Vince Carter guy, a Dominique Wilkins guy, which all of it, like uh, Vince Carter, but also like I mean. Let's just anybody yeah. from that era, like there was putting on a show because there was a there was a mystique to it, right? You haven't seen things before. Now we've we've seen it and done it, uh, and so now it's about the skills competition and three point contest. It's it's all good. I, I mean, um, but it's also just the, the NBA. I'm not going to sit here and say that oh, uh, you know, we're sitting here watching to see what the NBA is doing so we can. You know, By the way, not them. even the NBA. The because, dude who won the dunk contest, Mac McClung, is a uh, G League star. Uh, and he back to back now. Yeah, he's not even right? on an NBA roster. He's for the, he plays the Osceola Magic. That's the jersey he was repping. And he he won last year too. Well, he was good. Right? Like that's, I'm taking another way. Remember, he was terrific in the dunk contest, but he's not even in the well, NBA. But Chad, uh, there. I guess that's the point. Altogether, and then what? The winning team last night had what two hundred plus points or something. I mean, it's it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's but the NBA, uh, I won't talk trash about them, and then turn around and actually watch their product because this is why I don't watch their product because there's all this grandstanding and trying to to one up uh, what should or should not be uh, even a part of the conversation where you have. A, a cool moment where you have a real star in Steph Curry, uh, but also Sabrina. And it, you have the Steph and Sabrina moment that goes viral, Chad, because of, well, the conversation after the competition, which was great. I mean, you can watch it in about two minutes. Great. But Kenny Smith makes an astute point, points out something that I'm sure the league didn't even want anybody to know. Uh, and then Reggie Miller well, he has to jump in and take up for the league stance and the uh, political correctness of what the NBA is all about. I, I, I think she should have shot from the women's line. She should have shot from the women's line. That would have been a fair contest. I still root for Sabrina. I still root for Sabrina. We all are rooting for Sabrina. No. She should have shot from the three-point line that the women shoot from. Why are you putting those boundaries on her? That's she, not a boundary. She That's what the shoot. game is. She wanted to shoot. They have a smaller ball, don't they? She shot a WNBA ball. WNBA ball is smaller. She shot with the WNBA yeah, ball. She, she, she shot from the line. In, in, there's in a the women's team. tee in golf and there's a men's tee. For a reason. No. She a shooter shoot. Is that what you said? Yeah, but they shoot from where they shoot from. No. Thank you. No, no, no. Sabrina, Good job, team. Sabrina. No, but but don't let great. any man put boundaries on you like him. But then give him a regular ball there. Don't let him put boundaries on you. Give him a regular ball there. It's not fair. Curry I disagree. Of the nine oh, balls to beat so there's uh, Reggie Miller doing the PR job for the NBA, virtue signaling. And, Chad, it's, um, isn't it obvious that the way it was presented 
Uh, there's a, a great uh, piece right now at outkick.com where you can jump on and read. Dan, what Dan Z wrote Z a nice wrote. piece about it. Yeah, and he, he, makes, it. he makes a great point. Yep. The NBA set this up as everything was fair and square. Meaning, meaning uh, they wanted you to think that she was using the same basketball. And had they actually had her shoot from the women's line, you would have been able to see the difference between the NBA line and the WNBA line. But well, the fact that Kenny Smith points this out, it's a good point. Reggie Miller has to jump in and play PR. Well, Reggie Miller, who I really like. Um, yeah, me too. It, virtue signaling at its worst in, in this deal. And at first, I'm thinking it was so over the top, like maybe he's just gigging Kenny Smith a little bit, you know, trying to make him look bad, but also kind of joking about, oh, why you got to hold her back? Why got to do that? But I, I think he was legitimately serious about this. So that is virtue signaling at its worst. Kenny Smith's best comeback was in the end when he said, all right, then use a men's ball. If you're, if you're going to do that, oh, you want to shoot from the men's line? Well, then she should have to use a men's ball, too, if you want to make it all equal. But it's not. Kenny Smith is right. She should have been allowed or should have shot from the WNBA three-point line because that's where she plays. My mother, Debbie Withrow, was born in 1950. In my mother's life, now I talked to her this morning about this, so she's totally fine with me discussing all of this. In my mother's lifetime, we've come a long way, and it's not always good. Here's where the good happened. When my mom was in high school, she was forced to play three-on-three half-court. I actually think they put a girl at mid-court, and they would throw it to her, and then she'd throw it to the offensive end or the defensive end. It's kind of a weird spot to be in. You just catch a pass and throw it to the other end. Like all-time quarterback or something? Sort of. But it's like all-time half-court point guard. But then you had three-on-three on each side, defense-offense. My mom was a forward. She played offense half-court, three-on-three. They did that because no one thought a woman had the physical stamina to run full court and play full court basketball. That's a lie. That's not true. We've seen that over generations now. Women have the stamina to play full court basketball, and they could do it at a very high level. And we've seen the game evolve in great directions because people allowed women to run full court and play full court basketball. Now, think about that. That was 1968. My mother, Debbie Withrow, graduated high school. They were forced to play three-on-three. She had a cousin seven years younger. So I know that in 1975, in the state of Tennessee at least, they were still being forced to play three-on-three half-court basketball in the girls' game in high school. Now fast forward all these years later. We've made so many advancements, so many developments. Women have so many more opportunities in sport, and I think that's a great thing. So many opportunities. But now we've gone to the extreme other end of this. We somehow, in my mom's lifetime, went from women don't have the physical capabilities or stamina to play full court basketball to Reggie Miller, NBA Hall of Famer, Basketball Hall of Famer, claiming there is no difference between men and women in sport. There is absolutely a difference. It's why they play with a smaller ball. It's why the three-point line in many circumstances is closer. It's why we shouldn't be allowing men to compete with women. Not every dream is attainable. I'm sorry. Sabrina Ionesco is never going to be a star in the NBA. No matter how big she dreams, no matter how much she shoots with a men's basketball, any of that. Kenny Smith is right. It, would have, it was a great competition where it was. She might have won the damn thing had they allowed her or had she shot from the actual WNBA three-point line instead of the men's line. The games are different. Men and women are different physically. I don't know why 
We have such a hard time admitting this. Just like it's impossible, I believe, right now for Sabrina Ionesco to dream that she's going to be an NBA star instead of a WNBA star. She seems to identify as a man. It should also be impossible for a man, a young boy, a young man to dream that they can be a women's sports star and then go, go and do it in swimming or go and do it in volleyball. That also should be an impossible dream. Certain dreams being impossible is fine. That's called reality. Let's get back to reality. We weren't necessarily living in reality in 1968 when my mother, Debbie Withrow, graduated high school. We're not living in reality in 2024 when Reggie Miller and Leah Thomas and whoever the dudes are that are playing girls volleyball all over the country are allowed to do these things and act like men and women are the same. They're not. They are physically different for a reason, and there's a reason we divide them up in sports. It's fine. Not every dream has to be attainable. Chad, the other part of this, and well said, is what Reggie Miller is saying to Kenny Smith about the responses, you know, in essence, talking to Sabrina while on air, recapping the same. Don't let, don't let, uh, no, don't let Kenny put boundaries on you. Don't let him define your boundaries. Yeah. Okay. So why does the WNBA use a different basketball? In a different three-point line. Reggie? Isn't yeah. that a boundary? That's that's the whole point of this. Uh, and I don't think... It, and by the way, Kenny Smith wasn't taking a shot at... No. He wasn't, he's not sexist. He's just making a point that everyone failed to mention. Because if you're just watching the competition, you just think it's the same basketball. It also... They want that like, perception. It's not... But here's the other part. Th- then you have everyone else responding on social media. Like Sue Bird who chimes in saying that she, you know, it, it's unfortunate that uh, there wasn't a, a female commentator, uh, a commentator to give perspective and actually as if Reggie Miller didn't do enough virtue signaling on behalf of anyone watching uh, that would have wanted to respond to this. And then, you know, uh, uh, sidestep that with LeBron's presser where LeBron James is asked about, you know, if he's ever going to have a farewell tour. And he says, in, in similar to what Kobe had or uh, Kareem. And he says, you know what? I'm 50-50 because, man, I've, I've never been that great with accepting praise. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, that's why you hold a book, an oppressor that's on page two the entire time. You want, yeah. you want that acceptance. You love love. And I, I guess it gets to a point, Chad, where you, you, you're praised so much that you don't realize you're being praised. And so you, you, well, don't, let's... you go back to something that isn't true. Yeah. That, oh, no one praises me, but I don't really want it anyway. Yes, you do. Well, let's let's table this LeBron ridiculousness, which but you, I, you bring up say, a great point. But this is the about, NBA. Everything, yeah. everything that makes a headline is well, off the court. Let's and step ridiculous. away from, yeah, the NBA is, is ridiculous in a lot of ways. But basketball commentary. All right, Sue Bird wants more female commentators calling, I guess, men's basketball no, games she, she or, or basketball. In that discussion... She wanted okay, perspective. I, I am all for what Sue Bird is saying. But what I want is intellectual honesty. Because unless a woman that has played the game is going to stand there and say, what Kenny Smith is saying is correct. It's a different size ball. And it is different when you are accustomed to shooting at one line and towing that line and getting up close to it. And that's your repetition. 
hey, I think she wins the competition if they do that, right? She's a great shooter. No one – and Kenny Smith is not taking away she could have won it from Sabrina Ionesco's shooting. She, was, she almost won, you're right, from that line. Now, with a women's ball. She's not shooting with a men's ball, nor should she, because that's not the ball right. she shoots with throughout her career. She shoots with a women's ball. If there's a woman, Sue Bird, if she wants to sit there and say, what Kenny's saying is correct – Right, it's different, and if they played it that way, maybe the outcome is different because it was so close this way. I'm willing to hear that, but if you're just talking about someone that's a woman going on TV and saying things that you think people want to believe or want to hear and not what is reality, I'm not interested in that because Reggie well, Miller know knows there's a, Reggie Miller's sister is maybe the greatest women's basketball player of all time, Cheryl Miller. Terrific player in, in her day. He knows the difference, though. He knows the difference. And Cheryl was someone who could play with guys at times in her career and probably held her own. But Cheryl Miller, greatest women's player of all time, is not an NBA player, much less in the discussion for greatest basketball player of all, all time. Why? There is a physical difference between men and women. And it is okay to state that. And by saying that, you're not saying something sexist. There are certain dreams that are unattainable. Again, I'll go back to the reference about men competing in women's sports. If your dream as a young boy is to earn a Division I volleyball scholarship to play women's volleyball, that should be an unattainable dream for you. I don't want to hear about your truth, all right? When Davey Hudson says that it's not I'm your huckleberry in Tombstone, that's, that's his truth. I don't care about his truth. That's not truth. That's not reality. We deal in facts. The facts are men should not compete in women's sports, and men and women are different physically. We could get a doctor on here to explain all the differences for you if you don't understand the difference already. I don't know if we could. There's a reason that the... That the there's there are reason. three genders, Chad. That's true. Not two. There's a reason that women play with a different ball, and the three-point line is closer to the basket. Just like Kenny Smith said, there's a reason there's ladies' tees and there's men's tees. It's not universal. Well, I'm not a good golfer. There are women who can outdrive me, plenty of them. I suck at golf. But when you're talking about the best of sport, there's a different, there's a difference physically with them. Well, I, I mean, I, I Did just, you like how I worked in the Huckleberry oh, no reference doubt. in that? No yeah. doubt. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, the competition, by the way, just watching it in uh, the clip was great. I mean, she goes first and she starts. I mean, she's ripping those threes. I mean, she's great in the moment. Uh, Caitlin Clark can absolutely shoot from the NBA line, but I do that. The presentation of this of this was everything's on the up and up and everything's even, and that was from the NBA perspective. I think this was also leaning into that view of you know, look at look at the. Uh, Men and women competing. You get the two stars. That's well, great. It's, look, but, they, they but found it, the competition. It doesn't that have it to be sexist even. to mention the size of a women's basketball because if right. it is, the WNBA is that. Well, if, look, you, if, I, you're, if they're worried about putting boundaries on yes. on her, yes, no, spot on. And here's the other thing too: this competition was terrific. I, I love stuff like this, and they found the competition where the best woman can absolutely beat the best man. We almost saw it with her beating man. Steph Curry at it, right? Shooting a three pointer. And skills of the game. This is an area where women for years and years have excelled in the game. It's why I like women's basketball at its purest level when you watch the game. I will stand by this, and I believe it to be true. I think women's basketball, aesthetically, 
became a worse product when more women tried to emulate the men they watched and not play women's basketball. I think they're trying to play a style of game that doesn't fit them in a lot of circumstances. Now, someone like Caitlin Clark is an exception, right? She can pull up and shoot leaning to her left jump shots from 40 feet and drain them left and right. So she's an exception. Do I want to see Caitlin Clark go head-to-head with Steph Curry one day in a three-point shootout? Absolutely. Do I think Steph Curry versus Caitlin Clark in a game of one-on-one would be fun to watch? No. Because if Steph Curry wanted to beat her badly, he would. He would win easily. But when you find the competition that you could make it almost even like this, right? I- I'm all for it because it does show how skilled women are in basketball. And it's fun to watch those types of things. Well, and uh, if, if Steph schooled her on the uh, one-on-one, he would be ripped apart on social. That's why this, this continues in a cycle. Like, Re- Reggie Miller's being praised right after all this. I mean, you know, the grandstanding hero. Well, I don't, know, I don't understand to, uh, why. The sexist Kitty Smith, which is just stupid. You know, I, I know Serena Williams has said it before. That like, you know, the, 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 so asked a question about, she said something like, one of the lowest ranked men would beat me. It's a different game, right? Men's and women's tennis. Yeah. That she said something along those lines. Um, professional tennis sure. player. I, I would love to hear just a, a female commentator just admit the obvious and, and say that. Like, if they said what Kenny Smith said, I would like to hear from the women's basketball expert. Well, that, that would be Candace Parker because she's, she's in, on inside the NBA. But now, yeah, she's more of a, an NBA expert, right? Well, I'm just saying from... But uh, Candace I, Parker could to come Bird to the defense saying. of... Yeah, Candace Parker could come to the defense of Kenny Smith here. Or the all likelihood is everyone would just, I mean... But what she'll the, probably do is pile on even if she doesn't believe it because she knows that'll get the best response on social media. Sure. By doing that. Uh, hit us up with your thoughts. Uh, you can join us on, on social media there. Uh, and also, uh, glad you're watching at outkick.com slash watch. Uh, we've got Shannon Terry from On3 coming in. Can't wait to chat with them about uh, where we're headed and uh, the perception that, you know, the players, it's not the not those at the very top. It's the players of college athletics. In this case, I'm going to go to college football, ruining the sport that we love. Chad, there were 27 head coaches hired in either the NFL or Division One. In 2018, 2018, we're going six years here. Six years later, there's only one head coach left standing of the 27 combined coaches hired by that specific team in 2018 in the NFL or Division One. And from that entire group, it's Rice head coach Mike Bloomgren, who doesn't boast, by the way, some outstanding record. Uh, in fact, he's, he's he's not deserving of being the designated survivor. He's 24 games below 500 at Rice. He's the last man standing. It's nuts. The coaching carousel, though, never ends. And, you know, there, there are guys that deserve to hit the door. I'm not one that sits here and says, no, don't fire anyone. But far too often, those that are calling the shots, are, they're just not crushed for being inept or failure to identify a person suitable for the job and the money. And in many cases, they're just going to a search firm. So here we are in 2024. And the hype and the hope that this coaching cycle possesses, it's, it remains much the same of 2018. Everyone is poised for huge success. If you look around and read any article, listen to a local show, uh, see a, a, a league that's reacting even on their own website about hires and ranking. The business 
is huge success. Everyone's poised for that. But ultimately, they're paid to fail. The business side of football is selling hope over and over and over again. Big money football at the highest level is mismanaged, and that starts at the very top all the way down. In the pros, yes, and certainly in college. And to me, it's odd how we as a collective media, that we, that we just love, love every hire collectively and then demand they be fired 12 to 36 months later. When an NFL coach is hired, the reaction is heralded and praised in a consistent manner. Everything is positive to a weird and annoying amount. Just I went back and Googled the reaction to the 2018 coaching hires, Chad. Can't wait to hear these. John Gruden. Uh, this from NFL.com. Gruden is worth the 100 million bucks to the Raiders on and off the field. He's absolutely crucial for this franchise at this moment. Mike Vrabel, a quote was, I like the Mike Vrabel appointment here. I just like the other hires more. <laughs> Matt Patricia, how about this from Shefty? Adam Schefter via Will Brinson in 2018. Via also his agent, probably, Patricia's, if it's Schefter. Adam Schefter it. says, Matt Patricia has, quote, gotten calls from just about every team that has an opening right now. Mm -hmm. And that last year, when he was interviewing with teams... They said he was smart enough to be a general manager. He looks destined to leave New England at this point in time. That part was true. Nothing else is. Uh, Matt Nagy. Nagy fits the bill brilliantly. Alex Smith just enjoyed a career year under Nagy's watchful eye. With Nagy in Chicago, expect Mitchell Trubisky to make a sizable leap in year two. Steve Wilkes. This 48-year-old defensive-centric defense-centric coach is uh, he's all about winning and attention to detail. His passion for the game is infectious. He's a perfect fit for the Cardinals right now. And then Frank Reich. This was, by the way, uh, with the Colts. Initially, Josh McDaniels, who took this job for about, what, two weeks? NFL.com writes, when it comes to uh, character and organizational collaboration, the Colts did better on the final hire than they did with the first hire. Pat Shermer was also part of this. And, of course, none of these guys remained employed by the team that hired them in, uh, in 2018. That's in six years, all fired. But college football says, hold my beer, but don't look here. Because the players are profiting from collectives. That's why we're crying now. We're crying poor. It's not because the millions handed to coaches who fail. And in a strange way, there is a sense, Chad, of accomplishment that a school or a team owner who they have millions, just pour millions to hand over to your terrible coach or administrator to clean house, to just do it all over again. I think as a collective fan base of football, there's too much of pat on the back, thank goodness we got rid of this dude. Get him out of here. Pay him to leave. Back to that coaching class of 2018. Chad, of the 21 coaches hired in college that year, 13 were fired or forced out. Dan Mullen is among them. Seven others like Chip Kelly, Mario Cristobal, Josh Heupel, Sonny Dykes. They landed other jobs and then, you know, loaded up and bolted. Some are doing well, some aren't. But the 13 fired featured Scott Frost at Nebraska, Jimbo Fisher, Mullen at Florida. They also had uh, Pruitt, Willie Taggart, Chad Morris, Kevin Sublin, Herm Edwards. 
And the wasted money and the stupid contracts are not close to stopping because in the last 12 months, there have been 31 coaching changes in college football. Buyouts go up, and so do the coaching searches. And in the NFL, guess what else goes up? Your ticket prices, your streaming service bills, your favorite programs and teams, they blow money left and right. But it also shows the type of profits they're raking in. Buyouts have skyrocketed in just the last few years. Brian Kelly, Chad, his buyout is $70 million. <laughs> he's going to receive 90% of anything remaining on his contract when he's fired. Now, keep in mind, Ed Orgeron was also paid to leave. Brian Kelly's buyout is $70 million. Ed O's buyout was $16 million. James Franklin's buyout at Penn, at, at Penn State. $64 million. And he would only owe Penn State $6 million if he bolted for the NFL. $6 million compared to $64. Dabo's buyout, $64. $64 million. If a team wanted to hire him, they'd pay $5 million to buy out the contract at Clemson. Matt Rule at Nebraska, $62 million. His contract does not even expire until 2031. That's a long time. Dude's going to make his $62 million. And they've got to pay 90% of his contract when he's fired. Mark Stoops at Kentucky has a $50 million buyout at Kentucky. 75% of his remaining salary will be fired whenever, or will be paid whenever he's fired. And, oh, by the way, he replaced Joker Phillips. He had a $3 million buyout <laughs> at Kentucky. A $3 million buyout to now $50 million. And Ryan Day, this speaks to everything. He has a $46 million buyout if Ohio State fires him. $46 million, not to win, but to lose to Michigan. So, I mean, where are we with all this? It's mismanagement at the highest level. And those doing these contracts are the ones ruining the system. It's not the players. And in the NFL, it's now combine season. Every head coach and general manager, they're all going to be in the best mood they're going to be in all year long because the organization that they're coaching for or working for, they're all selling hope. So let's at least call out those who are allowing coaches to be paid to fail. Failures in their own right. They need to be called out for this. And I think it's like literally everyone at the top of the sport right now. It's hard to name everybody. NFL ownership, ADs, presidents, chancellors, and your school's big booster. And you may say, oh, it's not, it, who cares if they waste money? It's not your money. Ultimately, it can be, though, because instead of boosters, the NFL owners, they have all of us. Taxpayers building stadiums, funding projects left and right. So I think if we want to slow down this massive buyout issue, we need to acknowledge that we're not helping the effort if all we do is praise the next hire because he's also going to be paid to fail. And this thing just continues to roll, and it's not like the buyouts are going to go down. The agent just replaces the guy who was fired with another client, and the cycle continues. And the NCAA, and really conference commissioners and everyone else, they want you to believe that the, the, the whatever percentage of the money that's rolling in from boosters or sponsors or whatever that's now going to the player, that's what's going to cripple the game. It's 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 not it's just not true. It's a it's a it's a misdirect, right? It's a complete redirect of where everyone's eyes should be on the failings of. Uh, I'm going to stay with college for a second here uh, with this issue yeah. of buyouts, right? Now in college, it's all under the guise of the cost of doing business. Well, that's just the cost of doing business. If you want Matt Rule at Nebraska, you got to give him a uh, however many millions of dollars, sixty million. 
I think it was. Yes. $60 million buyout because that's what his agent demands or he'll sit out a year and do TV and try to get back in the NFL or do something else, right? So fans just dismiss it as, well, that's the cost of doing business too often. The only way to truly stop it would be some form of collusion, right, which may be illegal for everyone to get together and say, we're not going to do it. Every major school just says, I know we're competing against each other, but let's not do it anymore. If you want to pay someone more in their annual salary because they are succeeding, great. Give them that bonus. Give them that extension because they've done a good job. But upping the buyout or giving them an astronomical buyout just to, to hire them to come to your place, we have to stop with that because it's really, really bad business. Now, in college sports, at least there's a deterrent for the AD to make stupid decisions. In that, now a lot of cases, the AD does have a high buyout, but in many, they don't have a buyout that the coaches have, so they can get fired. You make one or two bad hires as a college AD at a, at a big-time place, you can get fired quickly. You can't fire an NFL owner. So there's really nothing stopping NFL owners from making bad decisions. Well. And, and bad buyout and bad business for whatever city they're in business with well, let's mention at times. From the NFL owner's perspective, uh, it, we have a stadium that's now, they're breaking ground right now in the new stadium. Yep. Uh, $700 million of a $2.1 billion structure is being financed through the team itself, really the league. The rest of it is us, yep. collectively. Uh, if you come to Nashville and you be Stay in a hotel. There's a hotel tax that's going to help all this. Like it's just, but you also have the same owner who's paying right now a ton of money to a general manager and a head coach, former general manager head coach that they extended ten months previous to when they fired those guys. You know, in one case, and then what two years after, and but they didn't have the the liquid assets to fund more than just a, a third of a stadium. See, so that's where that's where I think it just it, it, things get crossed on what's available, what's not. But also from the from the uh, from the AD's perspective, I think also it, it, to help stop it, the buyouts have to go up in favor of the team and the program and the university if said coach leaves. Because I mean comparing what I mean Ryan Day, I believe had a, uh, a he's, he's got a very small buyout. If, if Texas A&M wanted to hire him legitimately, they don't have to pay that much to go get him. But if he has a high buyout, that doesn't really help the team that wants to go yeah, get him. It, it and, should and, be. and it keeps the coach there. And it also prevents the, the opening of happening to where you then have to go well, do at, the same thing at again. At minimum, they should have it on both sides. If you're going to have an astronomical buyout, if and you fire the coach – there should be uh, a mirror image of that astronomical buyout if that coach wants to leave us for another job right. but in Ryan college Day, sports. Ryan Day's buyout, if he's fired, That's is only $46 fair. million. His buyout, if a team wants to hire him away, is $4.5 million. There's a massive gap there. And it's not just Ohio State. But, I mean, again, he loses to Michigan one more time. He's going to make $46 million. It's so sad to see the state of all of college sports right now because if you are the program that decides to do the right thing, which is not promise these awful, huge buyouts to people who right. fail, then you get cast in the agent community and the coaching community as, well, they're not playing ball like everybody else, so they're not going to get the better coaches. They're going to have to go hire some young guys that you know just want that job for whatever reason, 
And they're not going to get the best coaching candidates out there because they're not spending that money in buyouts. But the buyout business is terrible business for the athletic departments and for NFL teams. So totally with you. It takes someone breaking the mold and succeeding at, at some huge level in doing that, and then maybe others start to follow. But I don't know how that's going to happen but, because you're going to have to get rich and hit it right with the right coach that doesn't care about the buyout. But you can care about the buyout, but what they have to get right is the hire. So, like, it, to go hire some up-and-comer that's going to hit it big, they're not hitting it big with the guys who are actually paid to, again, paid at this this amount. And, and by and large, it's a, it's a search firm that they're paying. You know, like, that's the other part of it. Yeah. They put the blame on the search firm, and by and large, well, it's, it's, they're getting... 2018, one coach remains, and the dude is like 22 games below 500 at yeah. Rice. And again, like I hate it in college, but at least in college, the school president can fire the athletic director for making terrible hires and committing way too much money in buyouts to bad coaches that they eventually have to pay to walk away because those ca- coaches failed. But those buyouts the are NFL, approved by a board. Right, but the NFL, there's no deterrent because the NFL owner is going to continue to make money the city they're in is going to continue to bend over backwards to meet their every need. Right. Or they're going to threaten to leave or get a better situation somewhere else in another city. And they can continue to make bad hires, and it doesn't matter. I, there's got to be in situations where stadiums or teams are at least in part civically funded, which is pretty much all of them, there needs to be a lot more transparency about that, right? If you're going to have your legal counsel – go into a contract with a GM or a coach that has some really high buyout. I think the people that city need to know about it. I think they need to be in the loop on the hiring process. I'm not saying that the, um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the transit leader for the city of Nashville should have a say in who they hire as general manager for Amy Adams, Trunk of the Titans, but some transparency about what the city should know and what fans should know about, I think is totally fine when you're asking that city to also fund your stadium. But I, I, I'm looking at it from the NBA, or sorry, the, 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 uh, the, the NFL perspective of uh, the owner can do whatever he or she wants. Totally fine with that. But you better believe that ticket prices are going to go up. You know, the, the, the suite holders who were currently at the 45-yard line are now going to have to buy a suite if they want to pay the same price uh, in the second-level end zone suite area. Yeah. You know, like that's where uh, the, the prices are going to continue to rise. Uh, the streaming services will continue to rise because they're also paying billions to the league. And yet it, there's this far too often, I think in football, you're eating your own far too often. And I mean, it, maybe it just traces back to quarterback, but in, many, uh, in several cases, coaches are gone before they even have a chance to develop. Yeah, I, I... And now, now in college, it's, uh, it's just a different beast. Well, because there's... the ticket prices are also going up there too. What really bothers me is that we've lost like real stakes for coaches and, and, and NFL teams sticking with Hutton's whole presentation about NFL teams and colleges yeah. and making bad decisions, right? I'm going to stick with that theme. No other sports. What are the real stakes for Jerry Stackhouse, who we're going to talk about here later? If he's got a big buyout right now, he's going to get paid millions. He's already getting paid millions. He's going to get paid millions of dollars to walk away and fail. Like, well, what is failure in that regard? It's almost oh, being punished of staying. Oh, you got you got fired from a school. Okay, yeah, the pride, the You're ego right. takes a hit. But I miss the days of the movie Major League 
where the Cleveland Indians were so bad for so long that the owner tried to tank the team for an attendance deal so that she could move the team to Miami, but that there were real stakes in that they were going to have to sell or they couldn't make enough money to make payroll or to make whatever. There are no real stakes in the NFL. These owners can make terrible hires left and right, and all they're going to do is lose football games. And you know who pays the price for that? The fan. Jack and Jill fan that sit up in the end zone or sit in the upper deck that have to sit through miserable seasons that actually care about the team. Those owners are going to continue to be rich um, because the television contract, because of everything else, the, the, the CBA, all of that, they're going to continue to get rich no matter what. There aren't real stakes anymore. Well, I miss the days of we got to win the division this year or I might have to sell this team. They, well, I'm going to have to get out of this. And, and playing off the stakes, the, the stakes now in college in football, college athletics, is they want to pull the blind over this issue, the buyout issue, to then point to, man, we can't, we can't have employees playing because we're going to lose so much money. And really, the stakes are, for them, they're going to lose money that really they're making currently, that they're spending a vast majority of their athletic budget on guys who aren't even there. And they're still making a ton of money. But they want to blame it on the, 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 the income that the player would be making through a collective and forcing and, and trying to make the uh, the villain yeah, uh, I, something that it's not. Because it's it's uh, at least in the NFL, they have the CBA set up. Right. And college is not always this way because there are, I think, some real-life stakes when you make terrible decision after terrible decision. We've seen major athletic departments and major conferences take a hit financially and have a lot of issues. Yeah. So it, it does happen, but... And I know I'm, I keep referencing a movie that is fictional, but I think there's some real-life things. Lou Brown had to go back to selling tires if he got fired as manager of the Cleveland Indians. And he wasn't going to be rich if that happened, right? Guys that need to make it work or else. They're going to have to go get another that, profession. They're not going to have a lot of money. I, I just look at it and I think it works me. It gets me worked up because I'm a huge sports fan. And guys that suck, I, I want them to feel shame about sucking. But they don't feel shame because they're going to collect the check they get in the buyout. Oh, absolutely. And they're going to be fine. They're going to go live in their beach house for the next year or two. Then they're going to get some coordinator position or position coach position where, guess what? They're going to make over a million dollars to do that also whenever they're good and ready to do that. So I really sit back and think professionally, what are the real stakes involved? There's not a lot. And you mentioned When that. you get to NFL and major, major college football, there's just not enough big-time uh, stakes. A great example of what you're saying, like the, the stakes of UCLA, who is struggling financially, right, uh, within their athletic department. They're, gonna, they're about to get $100 million a year yeah. for joining the Big Ten. That's the reward. Well, and going back to NIL and why I am a more, increasingly more and more okay with players getting even more and more of a share of that, that, that pie, the real stakes is the guy that, you know, right now is a third-round NFL draft pick sure. that could work his way up to a first-round pick that's out there playing and playing his ass off that could get hurt and then not get drafted, and that completely changes the course of his professional life to where he's doing something totally different because he went undrafted where he could have been a second-round pick had he not come back and played for that school. Or he wasn't given the right opportunity in the right system to go star and be a high draft pick. Those players are really taking on the real stakes. Now, when they make their second contract in the NFL, we could say the same for them. NBA, certainly the case. Oh. Uh, Major League Baseball, guaranteed contracts. There are no real stakes for those guys not to perform when they get paid to that level, and it's all guaranteed. But those football players playing major college football, they're stakes. 
There are big-time financial implications and major stakes in front of them for not playing well, not working hard, not succeeding. I would like to see that flipped and those same stakes to take place for athletic directors, school presidents, and NFL owners. And I don't think there are any. And coaches that get the huge buyouts. Chad, uh, stakes. Uh, The stakes of the next thing on our list here, which is Rick Pitino. Do you want to do it when we come back? Or the stakes would be, if we do that, it's not going to be on YouTube. Your thoughts? Because um, no one's going to clip it after this. Let's. Um, you just want to stay on air. Let's, let's 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 do it. Let's fit it in. So Hutton, I love our YouTube audience so much. Like yes. I believe in real stakes, right? Right. So the fact if you're watching the show on YouTube and you're about to miss this dynamic discussion you're also about Rick miss the Pitino rest of the show when we completely go to break. melting down, I want our YouTube audience to take in this discussion. So we're not leaving. So to quote Leo in Wolf of Wall Street. Which, by the way, Tyrus on right now, Outkick Network. You can watch the real life Leo from Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort on that show. Right. We will give you the Patino discussion. So he goes scorched earth on his team, uh, fourteen and twelve, I believe, is the record for St. John's. And after the most recent loss, here's Rick Patino discussing, uh, well, how much he's enjoying coaching this team currently. We are so non-athletic that we can't guard anybody without fouling it's been that way the year but we came out in the second half and we knew they would come after us but you have to move the ball and we just took four minutes of rush shots i think they're unathletic i don't think they move well laterally i don't think they're going to pick it up in the next week uh, i think they're slow laterally i mean sean conway gives you everything he can he's slow laterally about five guys are slow laterally even, even the Celtics when we lost, I've enjoyed every minute being a Boston Celtic coach. Didn't like the fact that we lost in that following year, but this has been the most unenjoyable experience I've had since I... I mean, he, he even starts mentioning, like, it's not like we didn't try to bring in better players. He's like, yeah, we recruited this team. Uh, he mentioned A.J. Starr as someone that he tried to get, but there were some uh, academic issues uh, that and... Uh, other things. Is that no longer an NCAA violation, by the I way? Mean, I, don't, I didn't think you could like talk I tried, about other I tried players to get by AJ name. Starr. I tried to get others. There were know. circumstances that had to be done over that were out of my control. Uh, remember, you couldn't like name a guy's name that you tried to recruit, right? The coach yeah. couldn't talk about him if they were somewhere else. I guess we're, we're looking over that I one mean, now. Yeah. Uh, Rick Pitino also, when asked about a moral victory in a one-point loss in Omaha to Creighton, said, and I quote, I want to jump into the cold and die of frostbite <laughs> after that one-point loss. I, I'm here for it. I, oh, I, I love this. I'm here for this, Rick Pitino. I, I find it hilarious. Now, if I'm a player on this team, I probably don't find it quite as funny. No, I mean, they, But I'm sure that he's just sharing their physical limitations that he has hammered home with them every day in practice and during every game. But the, but, so it's nothing new to them. But this is, this is the next level, though. Because while you're doing that in practice, it's he's not just speaking in, in terms of the, our, my locker room is slow. We yeah. gotta get we have to get faster. He's naming names. He's going straight at individual players, naming them by name, and then saying he's not fast on the court or Ledlam's slow laterally, Conway's slow laterally, Brady's physically weak. Calls a dude on his one of his players playing for him physically weak. I mean, it's just I mean when you're 71, oh, he's and got, reached the point, and also. You know, he said this is the least enjoyable experience of his life. Yeah. I mean, think about what Rick Pitino's oh, been through. Well, he's enjoyed Professionally a lot. <laughs> and personally over the course of his career. Uh, just go back to Louisville if you want to do a quick Google yeah. search. 
And this now. Enjoyed a lot. Watching these slow losers try to move laterally is the least enjoyable experience of his life. And he's had some other things that have happened over the course of his career that I, I would say probably less enjoyable than watching this Johnny's basketball team trying to cut the guy off the baseline, but they're too slow laterally to move their damn feet to get in position. But this is the least enjoyable experience of Rick Pitino's life. They, uh, this is funny to me. They play Georgetown coming up Wednesday. It's also great because he's not out of the NCAA tournament discussion. Like They're on the outside of the bubble now, but they could easily work their way back in with a schedule they have left in, in a Big East tournament. Yeah. So... Doing this now, this is not like an end, like post-mortem, season's over, we're not playing in the NCAA tournament, I'm now going to crush this team and explain to everyone what I'm going to go get in the transfer portal. This is five regular season games left, and then March, and he's saying, you guys suck, you're not, you're not fast enough, you're, there's nothing I can do. To make this dude physically strong enough to play the way I want him to play. You know, I was going to I was going to say we'll get to this later in the show that it would be amazing NIT matchup St. John's and Memphis. But oh. this is a roster that Rick Another Pitino, guy who just Rick Pitino will not take to the NIT. Let's decline the invitation. Yep, he's going to be too busy hitting the portal to <laughs> play in the NIT. Oh, try to get a new facility, guys. Uh, I, I'm going to pass on that game against Furman because I got to go get this guard from USC that's transferring out. There was some other uh, good and bad uh, hoops over the weekend. Uh, the, the good we'll discuss coming up with UConn. Uh, overreaction to the weekend as well. That's straight ahead here on Hot Mike. Hot Mike with Head of Withrow. We are at 6th and Peabody in Music City. We're back, baby. Yeehaw beer and old smoky moonshine. We're back. Chad, uh... You were on quite the heater, I thought, when we were out in Vegas with college hoops. You and Dylan. Yeah, I um, I made the mistake of speaking into existence two parlay-ending jinxes okay. over the weekend in college basketball uh, to where I told my wife, Angie, if this game hits, I was watching yeah. one Friday night and Saturday early, Virginia Wake Forest, and I said, if this hits, this is like a four- or five-leg parlay. All I need is this game. And I will be able to make money for us. Like, I was ready to take it out, right? A withdrawal. Withdrawal? Withdrawal from FanDuel. Money was going to go back into our account instead of the other way around. And both of them did not hit. The most excruciating, Hutton, I'll tell you quickly, a very bad beat. I had Virginia minus two and a half at home against Wake Forest. They went up four with three minutes left in a 48 to 44 game. They went, I kid you not, 0 for 10 from the free throw line. In this game, they missed two front ends and one and ones, and then they missed two in a row that would have put them up three. Instead, they're up two. So my only hope was Wake Forest hitting a two-pointer at the buzzer to go to overtime, and instead they missed. They won by two. I had the Cavs minus two and a half, and that was the end of a parlay. So I went ahead and shut the app away for the rest of the weekend and did not look at it again. again. But I did okay. I did okay in Vegas. You're right. I did okay. You did. you know, uh, damn Virginia. Uh, the rich get wealthy. You know, there's a big difference. Uh, Des Bryant. Well, we could all aspire to be him when it comes to what he's doing on uh, uh, betting apps. So he had a $767 wager on a 14 leg parlay, and he hit it. Oh, excuse me, a 13 leg college basketball parlay, straight college hoops, 13 leg. He won 416,000, basically 417,000 dollars. Uh, it came down to uh, Nevada at UNLV. 
He had the uh, the money line. Well, they won. <laughs> Nevada defeated UNLV 69-66 to cap place off to the, win too. this massive parlay. And then he has the stacks of cash that he uh, he put out on on social. I mean, again, he he threw down nine hundred dollars on another massive parlay. It would have paid out over a million dollars. Why seven hundred and sixty-seven dollars and change? That, like that they, would be my biggest question. Don't know. Maybe it's like everything left in his account. He just emptied it out on that one bet before re-upping. Now he on the million dollar, he was responding. He showed the other ticket. It was Washington. Uh, Minus 300, just straight money line, and he lost. Cal beat them on the road. Well, and he said he claims it doesn't show the whole ticket, but I mean, had he put, for instance, Nevada on that ticket, he would have won again. How do you choose these games? I, I don't know, but he, he knows his college hoops, so I'm going to start tailing Des Bryant. Yeah. Let's get him on the show so I can tail his parlays instead of, you know, betting on Virginia to do anything offensively. At any point. Hey, talking about buyouts and everything else, yep. uh, just now, Jeff Goodman reporting, Arizona's Tommy Lloyd has signed an extension through 2029 at Arizona. He's going to make $5.25 million in year one, and it goes up to $6 million in year five of that extension. And I'm sure that buyout went up, up, up also for Arizona. It's always race season in college. That's right. Always race season. Uh, maybe an overreaction there, Chad? Maybe. To the extension? Probably. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, time for a weekend overreaction. Davey Hudson. What's up, guys? For this edition of Weekend Overreaction, we're going to stick with some basketball themes. And you guys started the show off with it, but the All-Star game, it's not what it is, or it's not what it was. And the NBA should get rid of the All-Star game. So in my mind, the NBA All-Star game no longer exists because I just don't have the capacity to watch any of it. We walked into 6th and Peabody here with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. They had the replay of the game on. I had to avert my gaze from the television like I was looking at the sun because I saw like some guy I've never heard of that looked honestly 15 pounds overweight just go up with no defense and dunk it and then walk back down the court. That's all I saw of the game. The game doesn't exist in my mind, but it has to do something for the NBA yeah. from a money-making standpoint or they wouldn't do it. So I'm not here to tell them not to make money. I'm just telling you, in my mind, it's already been canceled. Well, they combined for 397 points. Yeah, so, but the, so here, no, I think it's an overreaction that it should just be, uh, that you get rid of it. Because there are fans who are watching this, and unlike what we see in the NFL, the stars do play in this game. I mean, that's the, that's the draw there. They don't participate in the dunk contest. But they do play in the game. I don't know if you want to call it the, the basketball game. But, it, I mean, it's, a, it's an abomination. But they're not going to get rid of I don't know. Have we seen the ratings to this? No. Not yet. I'll I mean, pass that info along if I see it. Yes, please let me know. Davey, let us know if you see it also. But I, mean, I, it, it, I can't imagine it's any it, good. Every year, though, it's just it's crushed. But yet every year, the reaction's the same. It's crushed. It's just not going to go anywhere. I, I, would, I don't care if it does. But yeah, I think it's a reaction like I, because they're, they're clearly doing something right. Um, and they, they need to come up with a new way to have the allure. And, well, and, I, and I just don't see how they do so it. So, Davey, I think when I was a kid, I'd watch it, you know, in the Jordan, Magic Johnson kind of heyday era. I'd watch the game, and it was somewhat entertaining for maybe a half, maybe. <laughs> I'd watch the first half and then kind of fade out of it. Um, it's not an overreaction. It, it, yes, from a sporting standpoint – 
this this should not exist, this event. It sucks, but it makes them money. So the weekend is a thing, and that's the cap to the weekend. So I'm not going to sit here and tell the NBA not to make money. When they, they can't, well, so clearly it does something for them. They, the, so NBA All-Star Saturday night drew $5.4 million. That's the most in four years, just for example. That's Saturday night part Saturday of it. Saturday night part. Which we is the best of the We the don't weekend. have the game itself. But to make it, they want it more competitive, put the money out there. Draymond Green wants a million dollars for that tournament. He got five hundred grand. Put the million dollars out there if it's so valuable, and you'll get a competitive game. Yeah, I was just talking for the game itself, right, not yeah. the whole weekend. Because I yeah. think there are components of the weekend that you it's can fun, really yeah. build around. And, I mean, it's fun for whichever host city is using that. You're able to get in uh, fans to see that. And I know that the dunk contest isn't what it used to be, seeing as you have a guy that's not actually in the NBA play or winning that uh, back-to-back years. But, but, yeah, the game itself is just, I don't know, they, they, they've got to figure something out. But, guys, we're going to go to By college. By the way, now. that dude, Mac McClung, he was electric. Yeah. Like, I don't really get excited about many dunks anymore, but he did a couple things that I haven't seen before that was pretty creative. Like, it, it's one of those, if you blink, you miss it, like what he does in the moment. But uh, he was really good. I would just like to see them actually find an NBA player that can be in the dunk competition and not a, a G League player. I, I will make this uh, bridge to the next one. I don't know if you guys saw it, but the Brooklyn Nets have just hired Kevin Ollie as the next head coach. And he's uh, taking over for Jacques Vaughn. Now, this is the interim status, but leads us into UConn will repeat as national champs. No. But they are really, really good. Yeah. And they uh, haven't been completely healthy. I, yeah, that's, that's fair. I, I just, I mean. And they're still that good. What we see from them, they, what, they beat Marquette, what, 81 to like 50? 81-53. And I don't know what happened with Marquette. And Marquette is... They were, the, they were fourth in the nation. They're right? sixth now. I, I saw a new uh, ranking come out. I think they're sixth, UConn's even after that the, loss. The new number one overall seed with Purdue losing, according to uh, bracketology. Uh, but, I mean, should they? Can they? Absolutely. They're great. I just I, I say no. I think it's a, an overreaction just because of the, the parity that we're seeing across the college game right now um, and, and that tournament that we saw last year. Yeah, I'm maybe I'm getting a little too carried away, and I am I am pissed off at Virginia right now after what they did this yep. weekend to me. But I'm kind of buying into this redemption tour for Purdue, similar to Virginia. When Virginia lost to Maryland, Baltimore County, and came back and cut down the nets the next year, I feel like Purdue losing to Fairleigh Dickinson is now going to spark their run to get that elusive, not just uh, championship, but Final Four. That Matt Painter, who's a great coach. And Purdue has been a great program under Matt Painter. It's Have not time. been able to get to the Final Four since 1980 with Gene Cady as a program. I think they cut down the nets this year. And the good news for Zach Eady is he's not going to have to reach up very far to cut down the nets. I'm sure he can just do it without the ladder. Just reach right up and cut those nets down. He'll be just fine. By the way, um, UConn currently fourth in the net rankings. Uh, Marquette 14th. So they beat the 14th ranked team in the net rankings. Something was bad. up with Marquette. That, that it had to be. 81 to like what was it, 53? 81-53 final. I, I think they get it done. I just look at the efficiency ratings for both adjusted offensive and defensively, and they're they're almost top 10 in both, which is What's unheard of. What's their worst game, Chad? Do you have it pulled up there, their, their schedule? Don't worry about it if you don't. But I mean, I, they're 24-2. and two. Well, I know, but so, I'm saying like the closest they've had to like to what, a bad what would loss. be a, not a bad loss or just a, a, a close game that we're going to see it eventually in the tournament. Maybe we don't. I just uh, – I, I think, just it's, think it's way it's, more competitive right now. It's really hard to repeat, but um, I, I like the Purdue. I, I'm probably going to – I think they're going to do it. But, yeah, I mean, UConn's good money to win the whole thing. Tennessee's going to 
be a one seed before Tennessee is sixth in the net ranking. Alabama's fifth. UConn fourth currently. And I look at net rankings because that's what the NCAA is going to look to select on Sunday. You guys bring up Tennessee. They absolutely (laughs) demolished Vanderbilt and Jerry Stackhouse. And this is Jerry Stackhouse's last season as the Vanderbilt head coach. Yes. That's got to be. That is not an overreaction. Now, it's got to be. Vandy's a private school, so we do not have their buyout information right. or contract information. So we really don't know how much he makes. I don't know how rich that buyout was. I think Jerry Stackhouse said, I was fine with everything he said postgame about Tennessee. I, I, I do cackle at times at the fact that this guy went on what appeared to be like a WWE promo tour because he got hot in mid-February a year ago. And beat Kentucky, beat Tennessee at the buzzer at Memorial Gym, got hot in the SEC tournament, thought they were going to make the NCAA tournament. They didn't, but was really talking it up like, you know, you all doubted me, and here I am, champion of the world. And co-coach of the year, right? I'm here to stay. I'm not going anywhere. And then when you do that, okay, that's fine (laughs) if that's going to be your persona. You can't come out the next year and – who did they lose to? Presbyterian. Losing the opening night to Presbyterian and then win two conference games. The Blue Hose. Lost to the Blue Hose, and then you've won two conference games with two returning guards who are pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's his last year at Vanderbilt. But again, that place is so secretive about everything. Who knows? We do know you got an extension recently. Yeah, who knows That's how all. rich it is? And they may just be saying, you know, let's just – we kind of given up on basketball for the time being. I, I mean, the attendance. I know it was – just the, the home crowds are awful. They had about 300 people at their game against AM. I really don't think I'm exaggerating. They won you could game. barely find humans in Memorial Gym for that game, and they won at the buzzer. Yep. Davey, uh, good overreaction discussion today. Good stuff. Uh, my favorite, uh, the uh, UConn discussion, because they're excellent. Dan Hurley's built a powerhouse, man. I, 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 anticipate him winning multiple national championships when it's all said and done. That was the expectation for Penny Hardaway, Chad. It was. We have a discussion coming up on him and his tirade. He also, I mean, he stood there and answered a lot of questions. Patino, Penny, I mean, Stackhouse going to start challenging? Is is this the most unenjoyable basketball season of his life? You know, we had Dane Bratch on to talk about Stackhouse, and the one thing he did say about him, going back to the discussion of him, was... At least he doesn't bury his kids. Like he's very much like even when we all see like man, you don't have the post presence to compete against hey. this team or in this league. He ne- he always like no, we got a team that can win. We can win with these guys. This group can win and win big. He's always talking his team up and his players at least publicly. Don't know what that's got him, but at least he does that. Uh, when we come back as well, uh, Charles Barkley going back to the NBA All Star Weekend. Another headline that didn't involve like the actual sport itself, yep. but. It impacts the sport because it's Charles Barkley comparing where we are right now with NIL to what we've seen from the NBA and their their G League. It's interesting. And Adam Silver was sitting there for it. That's next here on Hotline. 